Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It's a Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. So glad that you have joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. We are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And the way that we've set this up is that we are studying the passage that we are going to be preaching on that upcoming Sunday. So that way you... Uh, Lord willing, are are getting a glimpse into maybe some of the ways that I approach the text, uh, hopefully getting some some tools, resources for yourself so that you can study the Bible, be a self-feeder. And of course, we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, here one of your 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 Bible lessons for today, so to speak, and, and this is a helpful piece in interpretation, is that we while we certainly believe um that we want to be thorough in walking through the Word of God, getting every single truth out of it that we can, um, and sometimes that slows that 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 will be a slow process, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. However, it's always helpful to remind ourselves from time to time what the big picture is of the thing that we are studying, lest we um, kind of get lost in the weeds. Um, for for example, um, you know going through a book like Romans. It's so rich. There's so much doctrine. You could mine it for so long. But yet we have to remember it was a letter written by Paul to help prepare the way for him to come to Rome and then ultimately for them to support him as he launched into Spain. And unless you kind of have the big picture in mind, um, not only will you kind of get lost in the details, but but you you won't really have the right context for or interpreting what's right in front of you. you. You always have to keep that that big picture in mind. And so let's remind ourselves on at the very high level what, what Matthew is, what the gospel of Matthew is. This was not simply theological information sort of dumped from on high, fed through Matthew, and then dictated robotically on a sheet of paper or a scroll, as it may be. No, Matthew was an eyewitness to the events of Jesus's life, and he's writing some 30 years after um, Jesus has ascended into heaven, and he's writing for primarily a Jewish audience, both Christians and non-Christians. And what he is intent on showing is that Jesus is the long-awaited long prophesied fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. He, in fact, is the Messiah King. And so everything that we've been been studying thus far supports this idea that Jesus as King is being highlighted. Well, when we think about the fact that we've called this series King and Kingdom, it reminds us that the King came to establish his kingdom, to establish his rule and reign. And what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, um, in essence, is Jesus's inaugural speech. This is where he lays out for us what life in the kingdom looks like and what he's calling every citizen of that kingdom to, to do, the, to, the way they're to comport their lives, their values, their priorities. And in understanding that, um, Jesus is about to embark in a discourse in the Sermon on the Mount on a whole variety of ethical issues, sexuality, anger, lust, money, prayer, giving. I mean, just the whole, the whole gamut. 
And so it's important for him right at the onset of this inaugural address, as he's addressing us, his subjects, for him to clarify what he is and what he is not doing. Okay. And that's important. Let's read the text. We've been in it now for, for a couple of days. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is one of the most hotly debated, contested passages in all of Scripture. Um, this relationship between the Christian and the Old Testament law and it was the cause of division in the early church. It's what got Jesus crucified and killed. It's, um, it, it was the dividing line between um, Jews and Gentiles, or shall I say Christian and Gentile, uh, Christian Jews, um, Jewish Christians, and, and then non-Christian Jews. It, 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 what, what do we do with the Old Testament? Now, we, we've seen what, we, what Jesus' great priority here is. He's telling us that our righteousness needs to exceed that of the, of the scribes and Pharisees because their righteousness was, only, was, was not even skin deep, right? Um, it was mere external um, peripheral obedience to the law, but really having inwardly a heart that was corrupt, that did not want to please God, wanted to please men, wanted to be seen by men. Which leads to our question, well, if that's what Jesus is not wanting us to do, he's wanting us to be wholehearted in our devotion to him, what does that mean, Pastor Paul, about the Old Testament? And that's what we're really going to dig into these next, these next, um, the, the, our next three times in, in this passage. And so before we, and, and I think the key phrase, let's go back to verse 17, is that I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, to fulfill them. Before we can understand what fulfill here means, I think we have to understand first Jesus's posture towards the Old Testament, Jesus's posture towards God's word. And remember, the Old Testament was all there was of God's word. It wasn't that all that there was to come, but it's certainly all there was at that moment. And a lot of times we can have a very disdainful um, attitude towards the Old Testament. That's just that Old Testament stuff, Pastor Paul. That stuff's abolished. It's gone. It's fulfilled. It doesn't have any, any relevance to us. But before we can really understand what the Old Testament says to us today, we, we have to, to reckon with what Jesus says here. And I want to talk about our Jesus's posture towards the law. Now listen to what he says in verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, so those Greek words, an iota or a dot, those are the Greek words for symbols and letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, I'm not even going to pretend to be an expert on the Hebrew alphabet. I have to go to my Logos uh, word study 
on, on my software program on my computer to get at that. But, but here the idea is that Jesus is saying, it's not that the Old Testament is irrelevant to you. In fact, it's all inspired by God. Isn't that what Paul says? All scripture is God breathed. He's speaking of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying every dot and iota in the Old Testament is inspired. It's the divine word of God, and it's not going to pass away. Okay? It's, it's binding. Now, then he throws in this phrase, until all is accomplished. And th there can be a couple of different ways of looking at that. And they're probably both in view. One is, Jesus is saying, not a dot or iota will be passed away until I've accomplished what the Father has sent me to do. That's, that's certainly, I think, in view. But it's also, I think, in view, the end of the age, the end of the eschaton. And Jesus is saying that in heaven, it's not that the law is, is abolished, it's that it is, we have no need for the law in the way that we once did. And so in heaven, the law of God will be written on our hearts. We won't have to think about doing right or doing wrong. It will come naturally, instinctively, intuitively. In fact, we won't be able to sin. And I think that's what Jesus has, has in view here. Okay, so, so first we see all the Old Testament, inspired by God, relevant, pertinent to us. Then he doubles down on that. Look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That phrase, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, is another way of saying they won't get in the kingdom. So he, he's issuing a warning here. He's saying you're, if your posture towards God's word and God's law is indifferent, or it's lackadaisical, or it's hands-off, or maybe even openly defiant, that is a spiritually precarious position to be in. Um, he, and then this really echoes what he says in Luke 17. We don't have time, time to get in there. But he's telling his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But he says, woe to those by whom they come. Um, it is better for a millstone to be tied around their neck than to lead one of my little ones astray by relaxing the commands of God. That's, that's really crucial. Before we can even dig into what does it mean to appropriate the Word of God, the Old Testament, to our lives, we have to really check our hearts and say, am I open? Do I want to do what God wants me to do? Am I set on holiness? Do I want to please the Lord? Is my posture when I come to the Word of God, is it one where I'm eager, where I'm open, where I'm, I'm just on pins and needles ready to hear what my king has to tell me, or am I already thinking about ways to not obey or ways to get around the commandments? I would say that much of progressive liberal thought, I don't even call it progressive Christianity because it's a whole other gospel, attempts to do just that. It looks at the culture and looks at the Bible and says it is completely, um, it, it, it's not realistic to think about the values of the Bible in light of the values of our current age. They seem so remote. They seem so primitive. Um, they seem so 
distant and irrelevant and primal and all those words. And we need to progress past those things and become more enlightened. And Jesus has a very, very stern warning, right? Um, that when, if that is our posture, then we are running not with Jesus, we are running against Jesus, okay? So all of that to say, as we are approaching this issue, uh, our hearts need to be ones where we are eager and ready to receive whatever God has for us. And that's the posture. Now, next time when we start talking about practice, we're going to really dig into what does this mean he has not come to abolish but to fulfill. We certainly are going to see that our relationship to the Old Testament has changed because of Jesus. But ultimately, it is Jesus and Jesus alone who tells us what we should believe about the Old Testament. That, that, that's one of the key points here. But again, this is just always a great reminder to, to be fanning into flame in our own hearts, our, our desires, our passions, bringing those to God and saying, God, I want to, to want, desire what you want and desire. And that's, I think, the right posture that Christ would have us towards his law. Okay, we'll get into this even more tomorrow, but thanks for joining us today. Father, we admit, confess, we are dull of heart. We are um, just hard-hearted oftentimes, and it's hard to get things through our thick heads. But Father, through your Spirit, would you open our eyes to the beauty of your Word, the beauty of your holiness? We want to please you, Lord, what, whatever that means, wherever that takes us. So give us the grace to understand this passage and know how to apply it. In Jesus' name.